0: Welcome to Wodcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. One in five people have a disability, some visible, others invisible. And many times people with disabilities are not portrayed realistically in films and in TV shows, thus adding to the public's misperception of these individuals and what they are capable of accomplishing. Respectability is a nonprofit that fights stigmas and advances opportunities for people with all types of disabilities. Jennifer Laszlo Mizrahi is RespectAbility's president, and we are excited to talk with her today about what the organization is doing in many different areas to promote understanding and acceptance of people with disabilities. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: What types of disabilities come under your organization's umbrella, respectability?
1: What a great question. Um, First of all, fully one out of every five people has some sort of disability. It might be physical or sensory or cognitive or otherwise. We cover all kinds of disabilities, the majority of which you actually can't see because if someone has a mental health condition or chronic pain, it's invisible. It's not as easy to note as someone who uses a wheelchair or has a white cane. But we work with all of the one in five people who have some sort of disability.
0: Is it more difficult to get recognition for those people whose disability might not be so apparent?
1: Absolutely. In fact, we see that there's so much stigma around disability that a lot of people with what we call hidden disabilities or invisible disabilities are still in the closet in the way somebody from the LGBTQ community might have been 20 years ago. If somebody has bipolar disorder or if they have chronic pain, frequently they're keeping it to themselves, which means they're not able to bring their 360-degree authentic self to their circle of friends or family or work.
0: Boy, that would be a huge disadvantage, truly. Um, what is the biggest misperception we have about people with disabilities?
1: Well, by definition, um, a disability is something that you can't do. It's a barrier to everyday living. But the problem is that the misperception is that people then define people by what they can't do as opposed to what they can do. Because think about it, Beethoven was composing symphonies while he was deaf. Mm -hmm. Stephen Hawking was literally unlocking the secrets of the universe from a wheelchair. Could he run? No, he couldn't. But he could unlock the secrets of the universe. So the biggest problem is that people with disabilities are seen and sort of defined by what they can't do instead of what they can't. And it's not uncommon for them to actually be the most talented person at a given uh, sort of uh, kind of talent. And so we have to see people for the talents and the, and, and, and the personality and the people that they are.
0: Now, what are the greatest obstacles for a person with disability who is looking for a job?
1: One of the biggest obstacles for a person with a disability is this idea that people are seeing them for what they can't do as opposed to what they can So they need to be a part of showing the asset that they bring, the fact they bring loyalty, that they bring innovation, that they bring problem-solving skills uh, to an organization. That's a really um, big barrier for them. And for some people, a barrier can be that they're afraid that if they um, get, quote-unquote, too much income that the government can take away their health insurance and if you have the kind of disability that requires Medicaid for example uh, then sometimes people are afraid that they will not be able to keep vital health insurance that's literally keeping them alive.
0: Now what happens with someone who has one of uh, a, a hidden disability how much should they reveal during job interviews?
1: Our advice is generally not to, not to reveal anything during the interview process um, because legally you don't have to. And then after um, you've been offered a job, you can let them know the accommodations you might need to maximize your effectiveness in the workplace. Uh, most accommodations are really simple. Many of them are free. It might be that you ergonomically need your desk to be a little lower or a little higher because of a chronic pain issue you, for example, or it might be that you have a mental health condition, and therefore you need to leave earlier on Wednesdays, and therefore you might want to come in earlier in the mornings, all the other mornings, to make up for the time. Both of these things are very simple to resolve, and it's just a matter of letting people know once the job opportunity has been given out.
0: How has all this uh, publicity, Jennifer, over snowflakes, uh, you know, affected people with these hidden disabilities? You know, that they might need a safe place or that there might be trigger words.
1: You know, I think that The the big thing is that um, society is trying to be more accepting of all kinds of differences, whether it's race or it's sexual orientation or identity or it's disability. There is a struggle because on one hand, you see people trying to do what is, quote-unquote, politically correct. You see a situation like Joe Biden, who just got in trouble because he's too affectionate sometimes with people. Um, You know, he feels that in the day that it was okay, you know, to touch a woman in a certain place, and now he's learning, hey, it's not okay. So there's just some, you know, times where people need to get used to trying to be more sensitive to people. Um, My personal view is to beware of the call-out culture. Look for the intention of the person, and if they are not doing the right thing to make you feel comfortable and included, then give them a heads up and let them know how they can do better, and then look for that improvement.
0: Now, I know you work to educate people in many different industries. Does your approach differ depending upon the community that you're working with?
1: I'm not sure what you mean by which community.
0: Well, which industry? I mean, if you were working with people on Wall Street or, or, you know, people who were running banks, would that approach be different than, uh, you know, working with people in Hollywood who were making films or TV shows?
1: What a great question. I I think that the key thing is to understand the needs of the employer, because at the end of the day, the employment of people with disabilities only works when the people are a right fit for the needs of the employer. So the key thing is to understand what do they need. So if they're in technology, for example, they may need somebody with superior coding skills, superior analytical skills, meticulous attention to detail, for example. It's not unusual for the best person who have for that skill set to be somebody on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. So you see a program like but Microsoft has which has people with autism interviewed differently for jobs so that they can show their skills at the task at hand and not worry about whether or not they give eye contact in an interview or really good at giving a warm you know warm set of fuzzy conversations they just look at the skills and so the key thing is to understand what are the needs of the employer and to try and match them to someone who will identically meet their needs. What you don't want to do is to ever ask somebody to hire somebody for charity. It has to be win-win for the employer and the employee alike.
0: So let's talk about social situations. Uh, People are often uncomfortable when interacting with someone that has a disability. Uh, What advice do you give in that situation on both sides?
1: I think that there are ways for people with disabilities to make people without disabilities feel more comfortable. Um, And I think that it's important for people, um, you know, who don't have disabilities to recognize that, for example, that they should only do job interviews in places that are accessible, because what if the person is a wheelchair user? You can't be doing job interviews in a place that a wheelchair user can't get into, for example. Um, And you're not really supposed to be asking about disability related questions in the job interview part only after you've established the skills of the individual and you've offered a job and they've accepted a job you get into whatever accommodations um, somebody needs. But it's not about asking people to publicly disclose what kind of disability they have. It's about making sure that they have the right skills for the job, and then you ask them are there any accommodations that you need so that you can perform at your maximum effectiveness. And that's what what the issue is. Because if somebody has, for example, bipolar disorder, they don't need to reveal their diagnosis, but they might need to reveal that every Wednesday at 2 o'clock they want to leave early. And so you can protect the privacy of the individual, and they might be going for cancer treatment. It might not be a mental health issue. It might be cancer treatments. You just need to ask people what they need so they can maximize their success in the organization.
0: But now in a, in a social situation, is it ever permissible to ask a person with a disability about that disability, especially one that's obvious?
1: You absolutely can do that, um, particularly if it's a child, uh, you know, children are very curious. It does get a little bit tedious sometimes for an individual if somebody is a wheelchair user and, somebody, and people constantly ask them, so tell me, how did you get to be a wheelchair user? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the questions are really helpful. Like, you know, I noticed that you're as a wheelchair user, it's a little bit, more difficult for you to navigate the work environment here. You know, what are the kinds of things that we can do to make it easier for you to navigate the work environment? And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, if there's a banquet, for example, you want to have some space between the tables so that people can get from point A to point B. If there's a, a wheelchair user, that you're not making, sh- making the aisles too narrow for them to get through. I've been to events where colleagues of mine who use wheelchairs can't get to a buffet because they didn't make a single aisleway wide enough for a wheelchair to go down. So just asking, are there some things that we should be thinking about to make it easier for you to navigate the work environment, regardless of what the disability is, that is often really appreciated.
0: Yeah, I'm still constantly surprised at how many Social places like, uh, you know, restaurants that don't have accessible bathrooms, for instance, for people in wheelchairs. Wasn't that something that was included in the Americans with Disabilities Act that uh, organizations were supposed to do that?
1: Absolutely, and that law is almost thirty years old. I mean, sometimes I—I I, I recently was in a restaurant where the only bathroom was upstairs on the second floor. There was no first floor bathroom. There was no elevator and they'd gone to the trouble of making the bathroom itself wheelchair accessible. It was wide, it had handles, the whole thing was set up for a wheelchair, only nobody with a wheelchair could ever get there because it was on the second floor. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, But yes, they're supposed to be accessible, but frequently they aren't. And in fact, we see that 40% of nonprofit organizations, these are organizations in the business of doing good, don't even try to make their public events um, Held in accessible locations, and this is really important because they're missing the talents of individuals with disabilities who could come and volunteer, perhaps be donors, perhaps be future staff people. They're really missing out on a valuable talent pool.
0: Is that a violation of the law? I mean, should these uh, you know public facilities or nonprofits be cited for that and be forced to put in wheelchair accessible entrances and bathrooms?
1: um all faith based organizations, churches, synagogues, mosques, are actually exempted from the Americans with Disabilities Act. Really? So the challenges are frequently at these religious organizations. But you know, it's not like these organizations are against people with disabilities. What we found in a new study we're about to release is that frequently nobody has asked them to take care of it. So it's really important for those of us um, who care about these issues to speak up to organizations. And we see something like this happen, we should say, hey, instead of using this church basement that doesn't have an elevator to get down this, how about the next time we use the library at the, you know, the the meeting room at the public library or the media room at the uh, high school in the neighborhood so that it can be accessible for people to get into the event.
0: Mm, That's a great suggestion. Now, the entertainment industry I find interesting, and it is one one area your organization does focus on, And it can be looked at in two ways, how people with disabilities are portrayed on TV and in films, and how films and TV shows work to hire people with disabilities. Can you talk about the challenges on both sides of that?
1: Right. Well, first of all, fully, as I mentioned before, one out of every five people has a disability. One out of every five, that's about 20%. And what you see, though, on television is that less than 2%, essentially, a tenth of the actual reality out there is depicted on television. So you almost never see somebody with a disability on TV. When you do, it tends to be portrayed by a white, straight male, as if women or people of color, didn't have disabilities, as if the gay community didn't have disabilities for example, which is not reality based. You have to have diversity shown. And the second thing is that it needs to be shown in an accurate light and a positive light. All too often um, people with disabilities are either the bad guy in the James Bond movie, where you know the physical disability is shown to correlate with somebody being evil, which of course there's no correlation between how somebody physically looks and whether they're evil or not or it's used as a trope of pity where they try and make somebody look really sad. They build up the characters around them. We want people with disabilities to be seen uh, in an authentic factual way for what they can bring to the community, what they can bring to families and friends. Um, So if you look at the portrayal in, uh, in, in, in Born This Way for example, it's a TV show that has seven diverse young adults with Down syndrome and it's They're not actors, they're real people, and one's African American, one is Latina, and one is Asian American, and so it's diverse, it's authentic, and it's positive.
0: And has that show had much reaction? I mean, were you involved with it at all?
1: So, our board member Jonathan Murray created the show, and the wow. show has a million fans. It's uh, in its fourth season. It got over a dozen Emmy nominations and several wins, including for best reality show. And it shows that you can make money and do good by having authentic, positive portrayals of people with disabilities. And so, we're very pleased because it's win-win. Because obviously, people in Hollywood they want to, in many cases do a good thing or do the right thing, but they're also in the money-making business. And the thing about disability is it's so prevalent that there's a large market of people that want to see themselves reflected on screen, whether it's in movies or television shows. And so you can uh, do well and do good, be profitable, and do the right thing at the same time.
0: How about ABC's uh, The Good Doctor?
1: ABC's Good Doctor is a terrific example of an evolution of these issues because you have a very positive portrayal of somebody with autism who is very, very high performing. So it stores a doctor who has autism and people doubt uh, that he could succeed in his role because of his autism, but indeed he does succeed in his role. The character is played by an actor, though who doesn't have autism. and there's a lot of people who have concerns. How come they have an odds you know an actor who doesn't have autism, you wouldn't have a character in a show played who's black, um played by an actor who's white. You wouldn't have you know blackface, some people call it cryptface um to have somebody without a disability playing the role. But the fact is that the person is doing a very good job of the role, and the show, recognizing that its star doesn't have autism, has done some other very important things. They have one of their key writers is somebody who has a disability. All the graphics are done by an outfit called Exceptional Mind, which is um, young adults with autism who do the, communic- the um, computer-generated graphics for the-, the TV show, and they've had several guest stars with autism on the show. So it's sort of a hybrid model, a uh, very successful, and a really enjoyable television show.
0: I haven't heard much publicity about all of that, Jennifer. Has that been... Do people know that, what goes on behind the scenes of a show like that?
1: They don't always know what goes on behind the scenes. We've tried to show it in some articles that we've written here at RespectAbility. So Mm -hmm. RespectAbility is fighting stigmas and advancing opportunities for people with disabilities. Um, But we certainly let the folks who are involved in making the show at ABC know how much we appreciate these extra layers. And we work with them um, to help provide ideas about casting or storylines to help them in their journey to have authentic portrayals while also having a fun, successful show.
0: Now, I know there was something else recently that happened with a film. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, the new TV, sh- the new blockbuster film *Us*, um, that Lupita stars in, it uses a voice um, of an, a particular kind of disability, and the character is a fairly evil character, and so an unusual character. And different people see the character differently. It's a doppelganger, and I won't go into the plot. Um, but people who have that particular um, disability were very offended that it was used for effect um, in this way. They felt mar- Marginalized. So we lifted up that um, the people who have that piece, that kind of disability felt disrespected, and, and Lupita, the star of the film Us, did a fabulous interview on The View where she apologized and also talked about the learning journey she's on to learn more about that particular disability and other kinds of disabilities. So I think it was win-win because the film um, is helping bring out um, some more information about uh, disability, and it's part of an evolution to try and have more positive portrayals. Look, you know, having positive representation of marginalized people in groups is not a Light switch that you turn off or on instantly and everything goes from dark to light and perfect. It's an evolution more like a dimmer switch that you hope to move forward in a positive direction over time
0: and we felt that that was a part of that journey. And yeah, that certainly was a great outcome. Do children have a particularly hard t- time battling stigmas you know with all of the bullying that goes on in school?
1: It's clear that schools are more sensitive now to trying to help kids um, with different kinds of disabilities. It's much easier on the kid with a visible disability because kids understand if they see someone using a wheelchair, <coughs> excuse me, they know, you know more or less what's going on. But if somebody has autism, for example, or some sensory issues, they might not understand. You know, they might ask somebody to play with them, and that person who might have autism might be busy lining up trains, for example, or, you know, not ready to socially engage. And so the first child who is reaching out and trying to be nice feels kind of shut down, not understanding that the person with autism might not have been ready socially to have the bridge to that relationship. I think teachers are starting to learn how to do a better job. Where we see a lot of problems still is in terms of these invisible disabilities like dyslexia or ADHD which can prevent kids from learning how to read or to succeed in math and sometimes teachers still think that the kids are being obstinate or or have a bad attitude or aren't really trying when they're trying really hard and they have a disability and sometimes that can lead to bad behaviors which then leads to school suspensions and then leads to the kids dropping out and that leads to the school to prison pipeline so that is one of the things that we worry about most If you look at who is incarcerated in America, it tends to be people of color who have a hidden disability, like a learning difference or a mental health condition that was not addressed when they were in school, and they never got the educational tools and and, and preparation that they needed to succeed, and that is really a major barrier to success.
0: And how about women? Do they face uh, more discrimination than men do?
1: It's such an interesting question that you ask about women because women um, women are not only have disabilities just like men do they disproportionately tend to be the caretakers of other people with disabilities in their family. So if they have an aging parent, for example, they might be taking care of their aging parents. If they have a child with a disability, they might be taking care of their child with a disability. So women who have disabilities, they're frequently not only dealing with their own issues, they're dealing with those of their loved ones because disproportionately the caretaking obligations are falling on them. So they have to be really empowered to go out there and advocate for themselves and for their loved ones, Um, and we're seeing more and more positive role models. But sometimes there's amazing people, women with disabilities, and the fact that they had disabilities is not publicly known. So many people don't know, for example, that Harriet Tubman, this incredible civil rights leader who helped free slaves, that she, Harriet Tubman, was a woman with disabilities who had a seizure disorder, she had epilepsy. Or that Frida Kahlo, this fantastic artist, superstar, that she had polio and other disabilities. So it's important to bring out these role models so that people with disabilities see just how much people with disabilities can achieve.
0: I hadn't thought about that, that women are caretakers, despite the fact that they may be having to cope with disabilities on their own. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. So, uh, Jennifer, we talked a little bit about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, How do you feel that it has helped overall and what more needs to be done by local, state and the federal government?
1: Well, clearly, the Americans with Disabilities Act has given um, people the freedom um, to get into a lot of buildings, into public transportation, and to have a lot of opportunities. Um, But, number one, it's not always enforced. Um, as we discussed earlier and I think a lot of what we need to have is high expectations so public policy needs to really be in place so that kids with disabilities get the education that they need so that they can become as independent as possible. Today only seven percent of Youth with disabilities graduate college, much lower than um, people without disabilities. Only 65% of students with disabilities complete high school. How are you going to get a job of the future if you don't complete even high school? So having high expectations for youth with disabilities to get the educational skills and technologies they need to become as independent as possible is going to continue to be important in the future.
0: Now, how did this recent situation with uh, not funding the Special Olympics, uh, obviously it drew attention to the Special Olympics, but I would guess also drew attention to people with disabilities. Um, From your vantage point at your organization, how did that all go down?
1: Well, in the end, the funding was put back into the budget, so the Special Olympics will have the funding that they had previously, which I do think is important. What I like about that program in particular is that it's an inclusion program where kids with and without disabilities are doing sports together. So they're building teamwork skills and trust and breaking down stigmas simply by doing sport together. So it's a it's a great program. But the larger question is how can governments work collectively to try and blend and braid their resources? I'll give you an example. Um, people with disabilities who want to work, um, they have a number of different programs that, that give support to job seekers with barriers to work, but a lot of those programs have no clue how to service somebody who's blind or deaf or uses a wheelchair and they're simply not accessible. So going forward, making sure that the entire workforce system that's designed to help people with barriers to work get into the job market, um, that all has to be accessible going forward.
0: Jennifer, it seems like such an overwhelming job, but your organization obviously is key to focusing attention on so many of these issues. What's on your to-do list going forward now?
1: Well, here at RespectAbility, we have three things that we're trying to do. Number one, we're trying to fight these stigmas that are holding people back, and we're doing that by reaching out to people in Hollywood to have authentic, factual, and positive representation of people with disabilities, and we're doing the same with the news media. The second thing is we're working with policymakers and the workforce system to align around best practices because we know that the vast majority of people with disabilities want to work, and that when the accommodations and the things are in place, they can be extraordinarily successful, making more money for companies or helping nonprofits deliver better impact. So that's the second thing. And the third thing that we're doing that we feel very strongly about is authentic leadership. This is what we call nothing about us without us or just simply nothing without us because we are one out of every five people. People, We want to be sure that when there are problems in society that need to be faced and, and met, that people with disabilities are a part of creating those solutions. We want to be a part of the leadership team, and so we're working to help develop a diverse talent pipeline of people with disabilities that are ready to solve problems into the next century and beyond.
0: Wow. Jennifer, that's uh, amazing. So, thank you so much. I, this has been a wonderful interview, shining a light on all of this, and I, I'm really finding that I learned so much just in spending this short amount of time with you. So, thank you. We will keep following you and your organization on Woman Around Town. Uh, again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of uh, Woman Around Town, and you've been listening to Jennifer Laszlo Mizrahi, President of RespectAbility. Jennifer, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your terrific show, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.